Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Volume. Welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday for the third time, everyone. I love playoff basketball. We are live on AMP. If those of you guys who are listening on YouTube or on the podcast feed, don't forget AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows throughout the postseason. I was just talking with the with the with uh, my friends, the, uh, our production staff before the show, about how much more entertaining basketball games are when there's real stakes and urgency. It's why I've been such a big advocate of shortening the season. I'd love to just see more NBA basketball games that are like that with more of the stars playing. I t- I said to you guys before um, this game, when we did our preview on Monday, I said my biggest fear for the Lakers was that they had just played this funky stretch of schedule where four of their final five games were against really bad teams, at least relative to um, what they would be facing as they head into the postseason, right? And then they had this one very important must-win game against the Clippers, right? But the problem is, is in that particular game, they were on the back-to-back, third game in four nights, traveling home, just played in overtime the night before, and so they kind of mailed that one in. And so they've been playing bad basketball for for basically two weeks now. And I talk about this a lot on on this show, but like playing good basketball is a habit. It's not necessarily a talent. It's a habit. There are talent elements to it, right? Like having the ability to handle the basketball, having the ability to shoot, seeing the floor well and being able to make reads, athletic ability, size, strength, all those different things. They all help. But the actual act of playing good basketball, which means doing all of the little basketball things well, whether that's running the floor consistently in transition both ways, running to try to generate an advantage on offense and to try to minimize an advantage on defense, boxing your man out every single time, good closeouts, 
understanding the scouting report and what specific players are good at or bad at and knowing what your job is within a defensive scheme. On offense, protecting the basketball, making pass fakes, taking care of it with the dribble, protecting the ball by putting your body between uh, between the ball and the man who's ball pressuring you. There's so many different elements of the game that are habitual, that are not at all related to what your talent level is or what your physical tools are. And the problem with it is if you play bad basketball for four or five games in a row, you can develop some bad habits, the wrong kinds of habits. For instance, LeBron James. And, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to be pretty critical of LeBron James tonight. He is my all-time favorite player. I credit him for everything that I've gained from the game of basketball. My parents raised me on football and baseball. I would not be where I am. I would not have had my school paid for. I would not have had my college basketball career or even doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for LeBron James. I am not a LeBron hater. But... As I try to do with everything on this show, I'm going to tell you guys exactly how I feel about stuff, and that includes pointing out the good and bad from every single player. That's the purpose of this show. This is not not a propaganda show. This is a basketball analysis show. And LeBron James has been practicing completely mailing in the defensive end of the floor for two weeks. His matchup to start this game was Torian Prince, who is a, a, you know... A lot of, like, Jaden McDaniels, for all of the talk about what he does defensively, and he's had a decent season scoring the basketball, but in my opinion, as a connective piece offensively, I actually think he's a better offensive player than Jaden McDaniels. And consistently throughout his career, he's had a lot of confidence. Like, uh, Torian Prince is a guy who feels very good about himself. He's going to go into a big game thinking that he's going to play well. And LeBron James was flat out conceding open shots to him. And it was funny because that was the same thing he had been doing for two weeks before. And that kind of trickles down to the rest of the roster. There's been a lot of talk over the course of the last few days about Anthony Davis and how incredibly frustrated he's been with the overall defensive effort, particular, uh, particularly from, his, uh, from, uh, from the perimeter players. And, you know, AD has been the one guy, I've, I'm so impressed by him, Because he's the one guy on this roster that I've seen over the course of this last few weeks that seems frustrated and annoyed with what's happening and is giving the requisite effort. And he he was chasing everything down tonight. And he had a million offensive rebounds, made countless big plays as an athlete on the court. Of course, one of the greatest offensive or defensive players to ever play the game. And for the second time this season, he fouled a three-point shooter unnecessarily at the end of a game, which forced the Lakers to earn this one. But it's funny, I, I tweeted out right before I got on the air, I tweeted out a little screenshot of, of the line score from, uh, from tonight's game. It's kind of like a little line chart that shows the team's points increasing as the game progresses. And you'll see Minnesota's scoring go like this, and then suddenly in the fourth quarter it goes like that. Because what did I say coming into this game? I expected the Lakers to fall down early, but I expected them to win because they're just a better team. Same exact thing happened in Minnesota a couple Fridays ago. They BS through the first half. They locked in in the third quarter. They got a ton of stops. Suddenly, it looked like Minnesota couldn't score. In the fourth quarter, Anthony Davis lit them on fire, and the game was over. But again, basketball is a habit, and this is what concerns me. I was talking with some people earlier today about my predictions uh, that I'm going to be making for this postseason, and I'm saving those for tomorrow. We're going to be having Carson on 
and we're going to just kind of go big picture in the NBA playoffs. We're doing, you know, these series previews that I'll be releasing as the week goes along, but tomorrow we're going to do kind of a big picture preview where I give my predictions for the entire postseason. And I'm, I went, I'm going into that show completely on the fence in both conferences. I'm completely on the fence in the Eastern Conference between Boston and Milwaukee. And I'm completely on the fence in the Western Conference between Phoenix, Golden State, and the Lakers. And I, and I said to, uh, to some of the people in my production staff earlier today that if, I, if the Lakers came in and dominated this game, that I'd be picking them to come out of the West. And now I'm not sure that I will. And the main reason why is I just, I'm not sure that they're serious about it. There is a, a level of, there is a level of commitment to the details that you need in order to win an NBA championship. This same group in 2020, from the start of the season to the end, very rarely would you see a game like that. And if they did, they'd bounce back from that game with four or five magnificent performances. There is an attitude, a, a locked-in approach that you need to have. And LeBron's been saying a lot of the right stuff, but he hasn't been doing it. And, and that's been really concerning to me. But there's two elements to it. There's the commitment phase, and then there's the building habits phase. I thought they'd be starting this game in the building habits phase because I thought the commitment would have come before the game. It was not. The commitment wasn't there. And then you can actually see them working through those habits down the stretch of this game. LeBron was much more engaged defensively in the second half, but he still made countless defensive mistakes. There was a play where he helped off a Torian Prince in the strong side corner, which is one of the biggest no-nos in NBA defense, to leave Torian Prince wide open for a massive three in the middle of the fourth quarter. Late in the fourth quarter, a shot that could have cost them the game. There, uh, he, uh, I think he had just hit a three to tie it at 95, and he fell asleep and had to do a late closeout to Mike Conley on the right wing. He just happened to miss the shot. That's, the, that's that gap that he's trying to bridge. Okay, he finally committed there in the second half. That's great. But then you have to build the habits. They're in OT. You can see it. Just watch the film. Go back and watch OT. Watch the way LeBron is chasing around Torian Prince. Watch, watch how he's so much more alert and aware of where he needs to be. And what's concerning to me is they are not a, a massive favorite against Memphis. I haven't seen the line yet. As a matter of fact, Ryan, if you see the line, uh, text it to me. I'd like to see it. Um, but my guess is it's going to be pretty damn close. If the Lakers are a favorite, they'll be a very slight favorite. And if Memphis is a favorite, they'll be a very slight favorite. That means this, this series is going to be determined by the tightest of margins. And so if you spot them a 2-0 lead because you're not sharp, you that could be the difference in a series like this. It's a big problem. Now, the advantage is, it was funny, I, I was uh, joking with another one of my friends who's a Laker fan during the game, and he, he was very down about it throughout the game. And I kept saying, like, no, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. <laughs> like it's, they're the better team. They're going to figure it out. And then finally, it got a little ugly there where it seemed like uh, they might not be coming back. But they just locked in so intensely on the defensive end there in that fourth quarter. Just got the line in from Ryan. The Lakers are an underdog, plus 106. Memphis is currently a very slight favorite at minus 124. So again, Memphis is a very slight favorite. You cannot go into that series sloppy. But the advantages, having won this game, and I want to credit a couple, couple of specific adjustments. 
Um, I talked a lot in, I want to say it was in the Miami Heat, uh, the play-in preview in the Miami Heat segment. I talked about how the Lakers have some flexibility in their closing group. They start with D'Angelo Russell, right? They go D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron, Anthony Davis. But I talked about how they have some adjustments. Like if one of their guards isn't very locked in, they can go to Dennis Schroeder. You saw that tonight. D'Angelo Russell was atrocious in this game. Plug in Dennis Schroeder. He's ready for that environment. Jared Vanderbilt, stone hands. All game was really struggling to catch and finish around the rim, right? Rui Hachimura was struggling to hit a three, but he hit a couple of big ones. He Darvin Ham made the adjustment to go to Rui Hachimura. I like that flexibility. There's a lot of good here. I am a huge believer in what this team is capable of. They've it's not a coincidence that they've been the second best defense in the NBA post deadline. That is a byproduct of amazing defensive personnel, especially on the back line. LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Like LeBron, again, I've been super critical of him tonight. No, it's not him being old. I'm sorry. It's not, oh, he's old. Oh, he just doesn't have his legs. It's 100% giving a shit. Le- LeBron is actually one of the mo- has actually has one of the most terrifying closeouts that you'll see in the NBA. And when he closes out to a shooter, dudes panic. They won't even try to shoot. He is more than capable of being not just above average, but a great defensive cog on this team. Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura, one of the big reasons why Rui's getting those closing minutes, you'd think of it as an offensive-defensive sub. Rui has been a great defensive player for this team. And then Dennis Schroeder, it, like, I thought one of the, the kind of the sub subplots of this particular game was Laker role players kind of struggling under the intensity of the moment. It was a little touch and go there for Rui for a minute, but he ended up making a big three in OT. But like Austin Reeves had one of the worst games he's had in weeks. D'Angelo Russell had his worst game in a Lakers uniform. Troy Brown Jr. had his worst game in a long time. Wenyan Gabriel played a couple of minutes and it became abundantly clear he wasn't capable of playing in this setting. That's an issue. You're going to find out pretty quickly whether or not some of these guys are capable of playing at this level. So, um, again, tomorrow we're going to do a deeper dive into a lot of this stuff. We're going to talk... uh, who I picked to come out of the West, who I picked to come out of the East, who I picked to win the title. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the lower level contenders in that list. Um, and talk about some of the stakes that are, um, some of the, some of the things that are at stake in this particular playoff run with Carson. So I'm not going to go too much, um, longer on this particular game, but it's good. It's a good win for the Lakers. A win is a win is a win, but they have four days now to tighten some things up defensively. And if they don't, they're going to be in some trouble against Memphis. Really quickly before we get out of here, I wanted to talk a little bit about Heat Hawks. So um, this was a textbook example of the advantages, the physical advantages on a basketball court and the way that they can lead to skill advantages not mattering as much. So for instance, Miami actually got more stops in this game than Atlanta. If you count missed shots and turnovers as stops, Miami got 63 stops, and Atlanta got 60 stops. So Miami actually stopped Atlanta from scoring a ton in this game. But they gave up 22 offensive rebounds. Clint Capella had eight. You know, I'm a huge believer in switching defense. I've talked about this a lot. 
And I, I love the way it stagnates teams. And I'm a big believer that the good elements of switching outweigh the bad elements. The bad elements, you give up mismatches. You give up rebounding position. You give up all these different things, right? But you also stagnate the opponent, right? You force them to play isolation ball. And you shut down all of their sets. So there's a lot of advantages there. Here's the problem. You have to have a certain type of personnel to run a switching scheme. Every time you switch Bam Adebayo off of Clint Capella onto a perimeter player to defend, you now have Clint Capella battling against four additional players where the tallest player in that group is Jimmy Butler at six foot seven. See the point? In order to run a switching scheme, you need aggregate size in the lineup. That's why I wish the Lakers would do more switching. When you got Anthony Davis, LeBron, excuse me, LeBron James, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, and guards that are 6'4", 6'5", like D'Angelo Russell. Um, like D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, then you have the aggregate size to kind of crash the glass and have success there. But Miami let P.J. Tucker go and did not replace him. Not with a real athletic forward. Like, I like Kevin Love. The dude's an NBA champion. He's not fixing that problem. Zeller, not fixing the problem, right? And I was looking at the... uh, I was looking at the uh, uh, the payroll for the Miami Heat after this. A lot, most of these guys are locked up. Kyle Lowry is going to be making a ton of money next year. Duncan Robinson is going to be making a ton of money next year. Tyler Harrow is making a ton of money for a long time, and he's not exactly a needle moving type of player. I uh, tweeted out uh, just a, kind of like a pre- an exercise to people. I said, hey, here's Miami's payroll. What would you do if you were a GM? And I saw a lot of different things, and I didn't see anything specifically that really made much of a, of a difference in my opinion except for what I would do, which is make one last effort to go all in around Jimmy and Bam. I'd package Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson, every conceivable draft pick they have, and I'd throw it at Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal, and I'd build around the margins there. But they need to, need to get bigger and more athletic on the perimeter. I was also just generally real impressed with Atlanta's approach. Quinn Snyder's been talking a lot about spacing. And spacing is, you know, a, a very important part of the game of basketball that doesn't get talked about enough. I'll give you an example. The, what should have been the game winner by Dennis Schroeder tonight. 95-95, LeBron drives along the baseline. Uh, Torian Prince does a good job of funneling him behind the rim so that LeBron doesn't have an opportunity to shoot, you need to give LeBron a clear outlet, which is Dennis Schroeder in the corner. Spacing principles are about having guys in these specific spots on the floor so that you always have a read to make. And if guys aren't in those spots, or if they're congregated to where they're uh, making themselves easy to guard by standing too close to each other, then you run into problems. Atlanta has gotten really good at positioning themselves in the floor where Clint Capella is under the rim as that as that vertical spacing lob threat, right? And then they have like Sadiq Bay in one corner or DeAndre Hunter in the other corner and whichever guard doesn't have the ball on the opposite wing. And so when DeJounte Murray beats somebody off the dribble, it's very straightforward. If you see two defenders on you and you see Clint guarded and you see the weak side corner guarded and you see the wing guarded, you know the opposite corner is wide open. You don't even have to look. You can just hook it over there as long as your spacing principles are lined up. And Quinn Snyder's done a really nice job of turning this into a legit drive and kick team. 
just in general, is really impressed with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray embracing their roles as advantage creators and not just hunting their own shots, which got them into a really good groove playing drive and kick basketball, and the Heat were in a blender all night long. I, I Again, like it's not like they're about to go beat Boston, um, and I still think that their best bet is to build around their best trait, which is length and athleticism and size by flipping Trey Young this summer for some type of wing athlete, a, a really good scoring wing, since you've already got DeJounte Murray as more of a traditional scoring guard, and go in on what you're great at, which is being big. And I think the Hawks are pretty much done with the Trey Young experience. They're heading into a postseason run, and they leaked to the press that the GM has the approval of the owner to trade Trey Young. That seems like a little bit of a concern to me. But, I mean, to Trey Young's uh, credit, he's handled it like a professional, and he played a great game tonight. And it was a big win for the Atlanta Hawks. The Heat are in a lot of trouble. Because whether it's Toronto or Chicago, if they play a similar similar brand of basketball, they could be in some big trouble. I expect Toronto to beat Chicago. If they do, same rebounding problem. They are just as likely to go into Miami and get 15, 16 offensive rebounds as Atlanta was. And it could be a problem for them. All right, like I said, we're going to do Lakers fans. I'm going to be talking a lot more about that Lakers-Wolves game when we do our series preview for Lakers-Memphis. And then we're going to be doing big picture predictions with Carson tomorrow morning. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys. And I will see you tomorrow. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.